Welcome to our fourth quarter market outlook. I'm Todd Eckler, Chief Marketing Officer at Fiduciary Trust. I hope that you and your families have been staying safe throughout the coronavirus pandemic. As you are undoubtedly aware, the pandemic has had a significant impact on the economy. While businesses have begun to recover, we expect it'll be some time before the economy returns to its pre-crisis level. At the same time, the financial markets have rebounded, with some of them reaching new highs last quarter. But will it last? It's a challenging environment in which to navigate. So today, we'll discuss the underlying drivers of the economy and markets and provide our perspective on the future and how to plan for what may be ahead. I'm joined today by Austin Shepard, President and CEO of Fiduciary Trust, and Hans Olsen, our Chief Investment Officer, who will share our perspective on these topics. Over to you, Austin, to begin today's discussion. Thank you, Todd, and welcome to our fourth quarter market update. As Todd mentioned, I'm joined here with Hans Olson. Hans, are you are you there? I am indeed, Austin. Good to see you. Good to see you, even remotely. Um, we are here now in the seventh month of the global pandemic, navigating not only societal challenges, market challenges, and economic challenges. Our hope is to cover many of these topics in the next few minutes. But what I want to start with is to build on a conversation that Hans and I had at the end of the second quarter. As Hans discussed the navigation of the economy through this pandemic and presented a series of ideas, whether it be a V-shaped recovery or whether it be a W-shaped recovery. And I'd love to hear, Hans, your thoughts about where we are in that path. Sure, Austin. So uh, fast forward three months, and it looks like we've completed the first V in the W. You remember at the time uh, we spoke last, we hadn't quite gotten the numbers yet about uh, the second quarter results. Indeed, they were some of the worst on record. Uh, the economy contracted about 31% on a quarter over quarter basis. Now, from the look from these GDP trackers that the regional Fed banks put out, it looks like third quarter GDP will rise something on the order of 31, 32%, essentially completing that first V. Now, uh, going forward here, it looks like, and in our concern then, as there is our concern now, is that, it, we, that we get a second wave of infections. And that looks like it might be happening. So with that second wave, that could be the catalyst for the second V in the W shape. So we'll be looking for, you know, a continuation of, of a slowing in activity in order to confirm that second V in the W. Hans, let me ask, because we're going to talk separately about the stock markets, which have taken a different path than uh, the, the economy. But two follow-up questions relate to, one, across the economy, has this been a broad-based, across all sectors and geographies, sort of rebound in the first V? And then secondarily, in, uh, in addition to increase in uh, COVID uh, cases, are there other factors that come into your calculus as you think about the onset of possibly the second part of this W experience? Yes, yes. So to the first question, is it broad-based or not? It was fairly broad-based uh, with the notable exception of, of travel, right, transport, uh, the airlines, 
and um, and the hospitality industry, whether it be hotels or restaurants, those are areas of the economy that continue to to struggle um, significantly. Um, but the, there was a nice snapback in the rest of the economy. That said, Austin, I think it's important to recognize there's still about 10 to 11 million Americans who are on continuing uh, unemployment benefits right now. And um, there's, a, there's been a material slowing in economic activity. So that first bounce that we've seen seems to, to be slowing, indeed weakening. And it's happening at the same time as we're heading into the winter months, the cold season, where people are going to go back indoors, which obviously has implications for the spread of the virus. And Hans, how back to the, the unemployment numbers, is it your expectation that how is that translating? And I think we'll talk also about earnings, but how is that translating into consumer demand? Are we seeing the consumer demand drive the economy as, as you normally would expect? Right. So, so in, the, in the snapback, we saw a nice pickup in consumer activity, as you would expect, from people being um, basically locked down to not being locked down. But the question really is going to become, where does it go from here? And, and where does it go, especially as the um, labor market vibrancy, sort of recovery, if you will, is beginning to slow? Um, so that remains an open question. Uh, but at this juncture, um, you know, earnings for expectations uh, for 2020, they're a wash. I think overall for the S&P 500, they'll be down pretty significantly from the prior year. We ended 2019 with earnings at about 163 a share. They'll be down $20 this year, down to around 143 Next year, though, Austin, big expectations, uh, complete recovery, and actually earnings to be higher than they were in 2019. So we go back to uh, where we started all this and even more at this juncture. Hans, maybe that's a good uh, transition uh, to a discussion and your perspectives around uh, the global equity markets. Um, as we've talked about it in the past, we've had this disconnect between what we are observing in the economy, uh, unemployment, businesses shuttering, um, slowdown, and then obviously, as you just discussed, a recovery. But the stock market has taken seemingly a different path, um, and maybe that is related to earnings expectations. Will you uh, comment on what we've experienced, at least in the third quarter, it relates to equities and also some of your initial thoughts as we think about the fourth quarter? Well, as you, as you recall, when we spoke last time, one of our central themes was that the U.S. would lead the global markets to some form of, of recovery in that V, if you will. And indeed, that happened last quarter. In the third quarter, just ended, U.S. markets led the way. Um, large and mid-cap companies did particularly well uh, during the quarter, then followed by emerging markets. And then finally, developed market equities. So you'd read that as Europe um, uh, followed up in the rear. So our, our central thesis then uh, continued to hold true. And to your point about the bifurcation or the unlinking, if you will, between the stock market and what we hear on the news in terms of um, um, continued outbreaks, worried about future activity, I think that is in part uh, uh, the result of several things. One, extraordinary monetary and fiscal policy that were brought to bear 
together roughly at the same time. We have flooded uh, the economy and markets with liquidity, uh, liquidity for people to, to, to spend uh, in the absence of jobs in the form of the CARES Act and PPP, and um, uh, liquidity for markets in the form of the Federal Reserve. So that has helped buoy asset prices pretty significantly and giving the, the economy time to try to find a footing as we navigate through uh, this pandemic. Hans, there's been a lot of discussion about what you just articulated, the flooding of the financial markets with, uh, with money, right, with, with, with uh, government stimulus and so forth. As that starts to slow down, uh, or the spigot gets turned off, is that concerning to you? Or how do you uh, marry that with the underlying um, economic uh, stability or growth of, of businesses? Well, so that's a timely question because as we tape this in the middle of October, the, um, uh, the, the administration and Congress are wrangling over another round of stimulus. Uh, the first round uh, is basically coming to an end. And with that, um, as the economy is struggling, uh, as you saw, you see this in the employment numbers, the markets are reacting principally to whether another round of stimulus will be landed or not. Interestingly enough, the markets seem to be trading more on that these days than they do uh, around, um, for example, the president contracting uh, COVID-19. So markets are putting a great deal of faith that some deal will get done. And the, in the absence of that deal, the reality or the lack of that liquidity just at a time when it is needed with still about 10 to 11 million Americans still unemployed, those are the ones that are being counted. Um, uh, it's coming at a particularly important time, and it's important um, from the market's perspective, at least, that uh, that stimulus is delivered um, in fairly short order, I might add. Hans, I want to hear your thoughts about the unevenness of this recovery, particularly in the U.S. equity markets. You've talked about how it's been um, you know, concentrated, um, and what are the implications of that? Yes, and it is... The returns have been very concentrated this year. So to, to, to illustrate the point, if you look at the S&P 500, which is a market cap weighted index, that's up around 6% this year. But if you take that same index and equal weight it, the market is down 3% this year. Very different, right? Why is that? Because the top 1% of the holdings in the S&P 500, as it's reported every night uh, on the evening news, account for something on the order of about 23, 24% of the index weights. So the top, you know, handful of names account for a quarter of the index's weight. Most people don't hold stocks in that same way. So the, the overall returns this year have been very concentrated into areas like technology uh, and, 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 and the like, uh, whereas the broader market has had a very different experience indeed. And Hans, another area of disparity is the, the classic battle between value stocks versus growth stocks. And maybe you could talk about that first, helping define what, in your mind, what falls in the category of a value stock and what is the difference to a growth stock? Right. So, you know, um, value stocks are those companies that are generally thought to be cheap. So cheap on a price to book ratio. 
that type of thing. Those types of companies this year would look something like an industrial company, uh, a financial company and the like. They're more cyclical in nature. Whereas a growth stock, uh, you would think about that as some of the online companies uh, uh, that uh, everybody uses uh, and the like. Companies that are growing their earnings, that have a, perhaps a higher growth rate and a higher price to uh, earnings ratios, um, things like that. So it's basically on a valuation basis. And you're right. The difference, uh, the performance difference between those companies this year have been quite noticeable. And indeed, it's been that way for the last 10 years. The, the, the differential now, though, you'd have to go back uh, uh, 20, 30 years to see this type of, of separation between the performance of growth stocks versus value stocks. Um, that said, uh, some of these more cyclical names and more value-ish um, names have uh, performed much better uh, of late, but um, which is prompting an, you know, a, a question, is it their time in the sun? Perhaps a little too early to make that call at this juncture, especially in light of worries about another lockdown or another wave of viral infection coming through. But they are having their day in the sun uh, over the last month or so. Hans, one final question as it relates to equity. So we've talked about the concentration, we've talked about value and growth, but the third point that I'd love to hear your thoughts on are the perspective around equities, not just in the United States, but globally, and how you think about uh, U.S. equities versus uh, developed international companies or companies in emerging markets and how you uh, evaluate them relative to domestic uh, invest equity investing. Yeah. yeah. So we're when we're looking at equities around the globe, we're, we're trying to find markets that uh, and valuations in markets that give us as the allocators of capital an opportunity to earn you know, a return that at least we have we expect for the asset class. But perhaps we're committing a new dollar to make a little more. And at this juncture, Austin, from the state of play that we see, the U.S. continues to be the best bet relative to both emerging markets and developed international equities. So you think about that as Europe, UK, and the like. However, you know, there are great companies in those markets, and there will be a point at which circumstances will, will, will change so that we get interested in those markets yet again. And indeed, we've been looking at some of the developed markets, especially in Europe, as a place that maybe over the next six to nine months that we might be coming back to with incremental capital. You'll recall uh, in our work earlier this year, we took money out of those markets to bring them home, thinking the U.S. would lead uh, the early stages of the recovery. That's happened. So we're starting to look to see if, uh, if circumstances have changed in places like Europe, in places like Asia, and perhaps even the emerging markets that'll present us with an opportunity to put capital back in those markets. But for now, we, are, we think that the best opportunity remains here at home for the, um, uh, the short to intermediate term. Hans, let's shift to the fixed income markets and uh, bonds and uh, both government and corporate. There's been a lot of focus on that. There's been a lot of uh, monetary uh, policy activity there. Um, what's your interpretation at this point um, as it relates to sort of the broad spectrum? Yeah, well, um, bond markets generally have had quite a ride this year. Uh, they were badly dislocated in the second quarter, uh, came roaring back in the third quarter. And indeed, at this juncture, 
with the help of the Federal Reserve, um, you know, yields are, are essentially, and yield spreads are, are where they were or lower than at the beginning of the pandemic. So bond market investors this year had a remarkable ride indeed. And one area of the bond market is government-issued TIPs. And again, these are related to inflation, but can you sort of give us again an overview of what they are and why an individual would one hold them and also um, what they signal? Well, TIPs are essentially uh, uh, treasury inflation protected securities. So these are securities that um, are indexed to the rate of inflation and people will buy them as a form of inflation protection. The other thing that uh, they're used for is they help uh, set a market derived, you know, sort of a market implied level of inflation. And you, you, you can come to that uh, level of inflation by simply taking what the 10 year treasury, the one that's uh, issued every month and taking the yield on that and subtracting the yield on the tips. And that'll give you the break even or the implied level of inflation. What's happening now is that the Federal Reserve, uh, among the many things that they're buying, they're buying tips. And by some reports, they're buying a lot of these tips. And so that is having the impact of pulling tip yields down because the higher the prices go, the lower the yields are. It's just a fundamental relationship in bond math. And as those, those yields go lower, they actually have the impact of, of helping generate some inflation expectations. So what the Fed, in short, is trying to do is to help set inflation expectations through their bond buying program. And so what is your perspective around inflation? Do you expect it to be something that we'll be dealing with in 2021? Is it something that is more 22? How do, how do you think about inflation in the coming quarters? Well, you know, Austin, we, I think we've chatted about this in the past, and it's interesting if you go back 30 years and I could, I were to tell you that uh, you're going to have inflation between 1% and 2% pretty durably over a long period of time, you would have thought that is nirvana, would have, would have been absolutely nirvana. And yet here we are, fast forward 30 years, and that is some, now seen as something that we need to move heaven and earth to avert. Um, to generate some, this, this 2% number. The reality is, is that inflation has been pretty durable around 1% to 2%. Um, I think that that's fine, personally, because from a business perspective, you can plan capital expenditure around it. You don't want too much inflation and you don't want deflation. But if you have low and stable inflation, well, that's a pretty good state of play. A lot of what the Federal Reserve is doing right now is to generate a little more inflation one would reasonably expect to give them a margin of safety should um, um, these dislocations around the pandemic, trade uh, and the like, you know, these trade conflicts and the like, uh, have an impact on overall prices. But I think for the most part, from, from what we see, inflation where it's been operating for the last 10 years is fine. Um, and, and you can plan with that. You can work with that. Hans, before we get and pull all of this together and think about different asset classes and areas that, that we have higher conviction or lower conviction at this particular time, we would be remiss if we didn't talk about the political election that is uh, weeks away. How as, how as an investor do you position your portfolio? Do you think about 
um, the different outcomes that may come down the road uh, following this election? So let's look at the historical perspective first, because that'll give some context for, um, for investors uh, when they're thinking about this. Trying to bet on winners and losers uh, in a presidential election really is not a, a profitable endeavor, number one, because history has shown pretty definitively that regardless of who wins, as long as the economy continues to grow, um, markets tend to go with it. So it, it's not a matter whether it's uh, one party or another. It's a matter of being in the market. So that's number one. From a, a shorter term time frame, um, and, and this is, again, we're talking about months. We're not talking about years. There's probably an opportunity really for a portfolio grooming exercise ahead of the election. Because the reality is, is that um, regardless of who wins, there'll probably have to be a change in the tax regime. And given the deficits that we're running right now, which um, some would argue um, are unsustainable, uh, that as taxes rise, that's going to create uh, an opportunity um, uh, for people to, to groom the portfolio now in a lower tax environment, right, between now and the end of the year. So if you have had some of these darlings that have, are up three, four times this year, and these are companies that might not yet be profitable, this would be a great time to consider reducing those exposures uh, and being able to take more uh, of those gains and, and reinvest more of those gains in a lower tax environment than that in a higher tax environment that is surely to come regardless of who ends up winning uh, uh, the election in a couple of weeks. So no big bets, right, number one, but there's probably some fine-tuning that can be done in a very profitable way for those who are able to do it. Hans, how do, let's package this all up. Let's go through the asset classes as you think about um, overweights, underweights, things that are uh, neutral. How do you put this together in a cohesive multi-asset class portfolio? Sure. So uh, at this juncture... Austin, we would be overweight U.S. large and mid-cap companies. Uh, we would be underweight developed market equities, um, slightly underweight emerging market equities, all sort of consistent with what we've talked about here today. Our emphasis now in the fixed income uh, markets, there are two areas that we are particularly um, uh, enamored with at the moment. One is structured credit, so that'd be mortgages and the like. Uh, housing market is on a tear, which is leading to some refinancing. Equity in homes are very, very high right now, and the underwriting standards have gotten much better. Um, so that market gives an opportunity for a little bit of yield enhancement, as well as the investment grade market. Now that is 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 not as attractively priced, but you actually have sort of the confidence that um, the financials underpinning those bonds remain in pretty good form so that you, know, you can feel pretty confident that your money is reasonably safe, indeed quite safe, and the income that will generate it from, that you would generate from it remains pretty solid. So in short, that's, that's how we would position it. We don't have, we would not be recommending at this juncture any international bonds, uh, we're not recommending any commodities at this juncture, although that might be an area that we, we come to once again uh, in the new year. But uh, currently right now, it's, it's how we've been running the portfolio during the second quarter. And we think that we can end the year with that type of posture in very good form.
Thank you, Hans, for that summation uh, and perspective. Um, with that, we're going to conclude. Uh, we will gather again in three months. And like uh, three months ago, we are pretty confident that the world will be very different. Uh, but we look forward to engaging and navigating through these uncertain times. And again, taking a long-term perspective to the stewardship of wealth. So thank you. Thanks again to our audience for joining. We hope that you found the discussion useful. This is a challenging time and at Fiduciary Trust, we have extensive wealth planning, investment, trust, tax, and other expertise to help our clients navigate through it. I encourage you to access some of our expertise through insights on our website at fidtrustco.com, as well as through reaching out to a fiduciary trust officer if we can be of assistance. If you don't have a fiduciary trust officer, please contact Rick Tyson, who's one of our officers who can assist you. He can be reached at 617-292-6799 or tyson at fiduciary-trust.com. Thanks again for joining, and we wish you and your family health and well-being. The opinions expressed in this material are as of the date issued and subject to change at any time. They discuss general market conditions and trends and should not be construed as investment advice. Any reference to specific securities are for illustrative purposes only and are not intended to be and should not be interpreted as recommendations to purchase or sell such securities. Nothing contained herein is intended to constitute investment, legal, tax, or accounting advice and you should discuss any proposed arrangement or transaction with your investment, legal, or tax advisor. Copyright Fiduciary Trust Company.